Listen, if you have your Bible, I hope you brought that with you um, this morning. I want to go ahead and ask that you, you get those out. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. We're continuing a series that I've titled Joy in the Midst of Darkness. And as you're turning there, I actually want to do something to inter- introduce our text this morning. At least I hope it will. Uh, and that is this. I want you to take a test uh, with me this morning. Now, students, I know you're probably like, that's the last thing that I want to be doing right now is a test. But listen, I promise I'm not a teacher. Okay, I'm a pastor. I'm kind of a teacher in that sense. But it's not going to be for a grade or anything like that. But, but, but just hear me out. If you have a piece of paper uh, this morning, go ahead and get out that piece of paper. Go ahead and get something to write um, on that piece of paper. If you don't have that with you this morning, that's totally fine. You can play along in your head, all right? So can everyone do that real quick? Go ahead and grab that piece of paper out. Are we there? All right, good deal. So what I want to do is I'm going to ask you a, a, a 10 questions total, okay? I'm going to break it up into five questions each. I'm going to ask you five questions first, uh, and then I want, to te- I want you to tell me how you think you did on those five questions. And then when that's done, I'm going to ask you five more questions, and I want you to be honest with me and tell me how you think you answered those, all right? Simple enough, right? All right, here we go. First five questions. You can just number it one through five. Number one. Name the five wealthiest people in the world in order. Okay, go ahead and, and do that. Okay, a few seconds. I got to preach too, so I, I got to kind of move fast here. Okay, number two. Name three people who received the, the Nobel Prize in 2020. Hey, listen, we're taking a test. No laughing right now. I'm picking. I'm picking. Jeff's already quit. I think we know what he scored. All right, number three, name six actors or actresses who have received an Academy Award in the past year. Okay, that one's a little bit easier, actually. I'm trying to cut you a break. Number four, name the last seven winners of the Miss America contest. Okay, I should see pens writing, okay? I'm not, ta- I'm not asking other questions. Write these down. Thank you, Corey. Corey's writing down over there. He's, he, he knows his Miss America contest winners. That's interesting. That'll preach right there. <laughs> Number five, name the last ten Heisman Trophy winners. Last ten Heisman Trophy winners. All right, give you a couple seconds to write down all those ten names. Man, I love hearing the sound of pens writing on paper. It's just so loud. I can hear it from here. Listen, we're not, we're not taking this up for a grade, but, but can you just, maybe by a show of hands, how many of you think that you probably just bombed it? Okay, can we just show that, right? Probably all of us, uh, if we're being honest, I know there's probably going to be, if I ask the question, who did good, I know we're going to have that one person who raises their hand, but they're totally lying, right? No one did good on those, right? I didn't do good on those, or I wouldn't do good on those. Let me give you five more, though, because I think you're going to do better on these, okay? Five more, and I promise you there is a point to this, okay? I promise you. Number one, just, just number these one through five or six through ten, however you want to do that. But here we go. Name four people who have made a positive impact in your life. Four people. Okay, got those. Number two, name five people who you know love you and will be there for you in any time of need. Okay, we got those. Number three, name two teachers 
who have helped you in your journey through school? Number four, name three family members or friends who have helped you during a difficult season of your life. And then number five, name the person who has inspired you and challenged you to be the best version of yourself. Try to name that person. Who comes to mind? Name them. Now, how do we do on those? A lot better, right? Much better, I would imagine. And in fact, if you were to actually take up this grade uh, or take up this, this sheet of paper for a grade, I would imagine those first five questions, right, F minus. But I would also imagine that those last five questions, 100, right? A plus. And here's the point in making you do all of that. The point that I want us to begin to, to wrap our minds around is this. That the people who truly matter to us, who make a lasting impact in our lives, are not the ones who have the most trophies, who have the most awards or the most wealth or the most beauty, but they're the ones who personally invest in us, who care about us, who love us and want to see us thrive and succeed. Did you catch that? Did you, did, you, did you hear all of that right? The ones who really make an impact in our lives are not the world's best, the ones that receive all the acclaim, all the awards. No, the people that really inspire us, the people that really make an impact in our lives are those who care about us, who love us, who invest in us, who want us to thrive and succeed. So the reason in saying all of that, the reason why we're doing all of this little fun quiz this morning is that as we come to this final section in chapter 2, what Paul is going to do is he's going to put the spotlight on two individuals who he believes embodies these things. Okay, in fact, what's, what's so interesting about these two individuals, what we're going to see for the next two weeks, is that these two individuals are actually friends of Paul. And so Paul not only records them having these honorable characteristics and qualities that we just talked about as an author of the Bible, but he's actually experienced the benefits from these qualities, these characteristics firsthand, because again, they have been a part of Paul's life and his ministry, and it has brought him great joy. All right, so now as we begin to just look at these verses in your Bible, you're probably going to quickly notice that the two people that I'm referring to right here are two men named Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy and Epaphroditus. I would imagine for most of you, if you've grown up in church, even if you haven't, you're probably at the very least familiar with the name Timothy. You're probably familiar with who he is, what he's kind of about. However, Epaphroditus, uh, you're probably like, who in the world is Epaphroditus? Like, I mean, that, a name like that, right? Listen, I promise you, you're going to get to know both of these men hopefully very well, and we're going to get to know Epaphroditus a lot better next Sunday as we're going to look at his scriptures next time we meet next week. But as it relates to our time together today, what I want us to do is I want us to focus on Timothy this morning. And before we dive into what Paul says about him, beginning in verse 19, I actually want to remind you, do a quick recap of what this entire chapter has been about thus far. And really, if I had to sum it up into one word, it would be this. Humility. 
That is what Paul has been preaching all throughout chapter 2. Humility. Okay, let me just give you some examples. For example, he says um, in verses 3 through 4, look at, look at those again. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. You see, these two verses act as the driving force of this entire chapter. The rest of the chapter ultimately points back to those two verses that I just had you read there. So Paul says, right, in these verses, he says, Be humble, consider others as being more important than yourselves. Uh, Don't only think about your own interest, but the interest of others. And so Paul, in the next section, in chapter 2, he gives us an example to look at. He says, look to Christ. He is the ultimate example of what humility is and what humility looks like. He's the ultimate example of a servant and serving not himself, but serving others. And then if you look at your Bible in this very next section, the section that Hunter did an awesome job preaching last Sunday. He, Paul basically says in verse 17, he said, look to me as an example. I'm also an example of what humility is. Paul says in verse 17 that he's willing to be a martyr for the faith. If that means that that will benefit God's kingdom, if that means that will benefit the Philippian believers and beyond. Okay? Now again, Paul's example or Paul's intent in giving us these two examples is to illustrate the commands in these opening verses. And I love how Paul just paints these vivid pictures for us, right, about what it looks like, what it is. Uh, He's shining the spotlight on different people. But let's just be honest for a moment. Let's be honest. That's a pretty hard act to follow, right? I mean, think about the people that he put the spotlight on. First, we, we have the mighty Apostle Paul, who you can make the argument is the most important or at least most influential Christian that this world has ever seen. So we're supposed to follow his example and and live up to that. And not only Paul, but then Paul himself gives the example of Jesus. How in the world are we perfectly supposed to uh, exemplify the life that Jesus lived as surely he was the perfect example of a servant and what it means to serve others before yourselves? But how in the world can we do that as normal people of God or normal individuals. In other words, what I'm trying to get you to understand is that, yes, these examples are helpful. We should be glad that Paul gave us these two examples. It should be what all of us are striving for. They are the ultimate examples of what this means. However, it can feel defeating. It can feel disheartening when we compare our humility to Paul's humility. You want, you want to have that battle? You want to compare your humility to Paul's humility? Who's he that's going to win there? Right? Or better yet, you want to compare it to Christ? You want to say, oh yeah, I have perfect humility just like Christ. Right? We all fail. We all struggle. And that in itself can kind of be disheartening if we're being honest. But listen, what I love about what Paul is doing here is I believe he almost senses that. Uh, and so in this last section, which is going to wrap up this whole teaching on, again, on humility... What he's going to do is he's going to shine the spotlight on two more individuals who also embody this attitude of sacrifice, of servant, servanthood. And again, these two men, which are Timothy and Epaphroditus, in many ways are much more relatable to us because these guys, they're just normal guys, okay, just like 
you and me. All right, so with all that in mind, let's just go ahead and read the Scripture, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time breaking it down. But let's just see what Paul says about his good friend here, Timothy, beginning in verse 19. Paul says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. Now, before we dive in, and since our focus is going to be mainly on this man named Timothy, uh, I believe it's important for us to understand a little bit about the background of Timothy, his biography at least, at least to the point where Paul is, is bringing him uh, out here, here in Philippians. But let me just give you some background of Timothy. That's going to be important as we begin to unpack who this man was and what he did. Okay, Timothy was a young man who ultimately became a protege of the Apostle Paul. Paul first met Timothy on his first missionary journey. If you know anything about the missionary journeys of Paul, then you'll know that he went through Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. And it's believed that when he went through the city of Lystra, that's Timothy's hometown where he grew up, he led then young Timothy to Christ, and a friendship of, between the two of them was birthed. All right, now fast forward a few years. A, a few years go by. Timothy is steadily growing in his walk. He's growing in his faith. And so when Paul passes through his neck of the woods on his second missionary journey, he invites young Timothy to join him. And from there, Paul personally disciples him. And a true friendship continues just to steadily increase and grow and deepen with one another. Uh, And in fact, scholars believe that when Paul wrote the letter of Philippians, Timothy had been an almost complete companion of Paul's for a span of about 10 years. Right? So it, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that, that Paul chooses to send Timothy to Philippi to see how they're doing while he's in prison because Paul loves Timothy. Paul has a, a friendship and a bond with Timothy and seems to really uh, trust Timothy with this task more than anyone else. Okay, what I want you to see here ultimately is this. Because this passage, it really serves as two purposes. It's kind of a strange passage. Like, Paul, why are you talking about this and now you're talking about Timothy? Well, it it serves in two different ways. On the surface, this passage, yes, is is a journal log. Uh, It records Paul's uh, and his missionaries team's travels. On the surface, that's what you would see here. But on a deeper level, and I believe the main reason for Paul wanting to include this in chapter 2 is that it serves as an example to illustrate humility and servanthood, particularly as it relates to friendships, as was the case for Timothy and Paul. Okay, so with that in mind, what I want us to do, based upon that, based upon this passage and understanding why Paul wrote these things, what I want us to do today specifically is this. What are the four qualities of a good friend? What are the four qualities... Of being a good friend. I believe that's, that this text is going to show us the answer to that. Let me just kind of maybe rephrase this question in another way. What are the four qualities that every friendship needs if it's going to thrive, if it's going to honor the Lord? That's the question. This passage is going to actually, I believe, answer that question because what we're going to see 
from Paul through his friendship with Timothy is that Timothy brought him joy. Uh, He walked hand in hand with him for years and years in ministry. He had Paul's best interest in mind. He wanted to help Paul succeed in ministry to help build up the kingdom of God with him. And so the question for us today is, is what does that look like? I mean, for me today, what does that look like? How can I experience that in my own life? That's the question I want you to ask. How can I experience that in my own life? And please understand that question because the goal, listen to this, the goal for us today should not be to say, oh man, oh man, I hope I can have friends like that so that I can benefit from them. No, the question for us today should be, I hope I can be that type of friend to someone else so that I can actually benefit them. See, that's humility. <laughs> that's servanthood. That, that's, that's putting other people's interests before your own. And again, that's the point. That's the point that Paul is trying to say. All right, so let's talk about these four qualities for a moment. What, what, do, we, what do we see through this life of Timothy and friendship that Paul has with Timothy? Well, the first thing that Paul's going to show us through Timothy is that a good friend is, number one, dependable. Dependable. A, a, a good friend has to be dependable. This was certainly the case for Timothy and Paul. And look again at what Paul says about Timothy in verse 19. He says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. So here we have Paul making the announcement that he plans to send Timothy to Philippi so that he can check up on them while Paul's in prison. In his reasoning for choosing Timothy out of the other probably dozens, if not hundreds of people that Paul could have tasked this with. Think about how many people Paul could have asked this. I mean, Paul was a Christian celebrity. He could ask a lot of different people. He chooses Timothy for a very simple reason, and, this, and the reason is this. Timothy is dependable. Paul, Paul can trust Timothy. He's reliable. He's dependable. Let me just give you some examples that's found in Scripture. In Scripture, we know that Timothy was sent by Paul from Athens to Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We know that it was Timothy who was sent from Ephesus to Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We know it was Timothy who was sent from Ephesus to Macedonia in Acts chapter 14. And now in Philippians chapter 2, Paul sends Timothy from Rome to Philippi, a distance of about 800 miles. And he chooses Timothy to do this because he knows that he can count on him. He knows he's reliable. He knows he's dependable and a faithful friend. So let me just ask you this morning, do you have friends like that? Do you have friends like that are just reliable, that are dependable? I bet if you do, it's a very short list, isn't it? See, there's there's a big difference between having Facebook friends and having faithful friends. Did you hear that? There's a big difference between having Facebook friends and faithful friends. And so not only should we search for those types of friends who we know that we can count on and depend upon and rely upon, but more importantly, we should seek to be that type of friend to the people God has already placed in our lives, just as Timothy did with Paul. Now listen, I I want you to look ahead in your Bibles for a moment to, to verse 22. I want you to notice something 
uh, as it relates to this first characteristic of dependability. Let's look, for example, what, what he says, beginning in verse 22. Paul says, but you know his proven character, he's talking about Timothy, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. That's, that's Paul speaking about uh, Timothy's dependability, his reliability. And now look right, at, right after that what he says, beginning in verse 23. Therefore, right, underline that word, therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Now, do you see the connection there? Basically, what Paul is saying here is that because Timothy is dependable, he is therefore valuable. Because he's dependable, he's therefore valuable. In other words, Timothy's reliableness created his worthiness, created his usefulness for Paul and for the gospel ministry because Paul could count on him, rely on him, and depend upon him whenever there was a time in need. That's the connection that Paul wants us to see here. That's the first quality of what it means to be a good friend. But not only is a good friend dependable, number two, Paul goes on to say that a good friend is like-minded. A good friend is dependable, but a good friend is also like-minded. Look look at what Paul goes on to say about Timothy in verse 20. Paul says, For I have no one else like-minded. There's that word that I want you to see, who will genuinely care about your interests. So here's the deal, right? Here's the deal. For any and every relationship to be healthy and thrive, that the two people must be compatible with each other. Okay, for example, their personalities must be similar or at the very least complement each other. Uh, their, their interests must be alike and, and, and mesh well together. Their values, their goals, what they see as being important, that, that must be very comparable to each other. And so for Paul to say that there is no one on this earth who is more like-minded than Timothy, that's hugely significant and important because Paul would have had dozens, again, if not hundreds of friends and acquaintances because he, he could have tasked that with any sort of person, but he chooses of all people Timothy. Why? Well, number one, because Timothy's dependable. He knows he's going to get the job done. We've already talked about that, right? But Paul's saying even deeper than that, number two, it's because he's like-minded. He's like-minded. Timothy, he shares the same passions of Paul. Timothy shares the same goals of Paul. Timothy shares the same gospel characteristics of Paul. And and Timothy shares the same mission of Paul, which is to share the good news, which is to, to build up the church, which is to proclaim the kingdom of God throughout the earth. They are like-minded. See, for Paul, the the friendship with Timothy brought him joy even in the midst of darkness. By the way, that's the title of this series. That's the theme of this book. We ought to take great note of this friendship. And so again, do you have a friend like that? Can I just ask, do you have a friend like that? Better yet, are you that type of friend to someone else where you are like-minded, where you are connected at a deep level to to work together to share the gospel with the lost. Since Christians, I believe all of us should be united in that. All of us should be like-minded in that we are all striving towards the same goal, which is hopefully to build each other up in the faith 
and to share the gospel with the lost. We should be like-minded in that. And again, the, the reason why I think Paul is wanting us to think about this right here specifically is, again, he's wanting us to be reminded of what he said at the very beginning of this chapter. For example, just go back to the verse part of this chapter, verse 2. Look at what he says in verse 2 of this chapter. He says, make my joy complete by, listen to this, thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, which we know for Paul was to live a life worthy of the gospel, as Paul talks about in Philippians 1.27. So that's why I think Paul is including these details about his relationship with Timothy right here. He's saying to us and the Philippian believers, look to our friendship as an example of this teaching. He's saying we're like-minded. He's saying we're deeply connected with each other. He's saying we're focused on the same mission and the same goal, which is to share Christ and to build up His church. And so in essence, the application for us is find friends like that. And more importantly, be a friend like that to others. So a good friend is, number one, dependable. Number two, a good friend is like-minded. And then number three... The life of the friendship that Paul had with Timothy, Paul shows as a third characteristic here of a good and mature friendship, and that is that a good friend is considerate. Good friend is considerate. Look at what Paul says now, beginning in verse 20. We'll, we'll start in verse 20 again. We're going to keep going, but let's start in verse 20 again. He says, for I have no one else like-minded. That's what we just talked about. That's what I wanted to show you there. Uh, but now look at what he says next. Who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So again, if you've not already caught on that this passage is given here so that it can just draw us back to these first few verses that Paul gives us in chapter 2, then you must be sleeping. We've already talked about the connection here in these previous verses, and now he just ramps it up a little bit more, right, in the second half of verse 20 and verse 21. Paul is making this abundantly clear. He's saying, don't just care about your own interest, but the interest of others. Timothy did that, right? He did that. He cared about the interest, not of himself, but very specifically right here, of the Philippian believers, Okay, and so again, that's what Paul is doing, this, doing in this chapter. He's giving us a teaching, which for this chapter is servanthood, sacrifice, service for others. And then he's using the rest of the chapter to show us what it looks like. He's saying, look to Christ, look to me, and now look to Timothy as he genuinely cares about the interest of others. Because that's a characteristic of what Christian humility is. And that's what Christian humility looks like in action. But I want us to focus here for a second on verse 21 for a moment, because this is, the, this is the interesting verse, I think, of this passage, and I want to make sure that we're spending time on it. Look again at, at what Paul says. He's making a statement that directly contrasts what he's been talking about uh, in verse 20. Look, look again at what he says, verse 20, um, beginning in verse 20. For all have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. And then he adds this statement to it. He tacks this on. All seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a pretty interesting statement right there, isn't it? Because all, all throughout this passage, Paul's been showing us, right, what it means uh, to be a servant, what it means to put others before yourselves. And now he adds this verse, basically stating that most people don't actually do this. 
Most people actually are quite selfish. Most people are actually not looking out for those people's interest or even God's interest. Most people are looking out for, number one, right, their own interests. And so the question I want you to consider right now is who exactly is Paul referring to here? He says the word all, right? Who is the word all? Who, who is he talking about in this statement in verse 21? Well, listen, I know that our natural tendency is to say, well, he's talking about unbelievers. I mean, he's got to be talking about unbelievers, right? Because unbelievers, they're, they're sinful. Uh, unbelievers are, are selfish. And listen, I would agree with that. But I personally believe, personally believe that Paul is actually referring to other believers, Right here instead. And the reason why I've come to that conclusion is because of what Paul just got done talking about in chapter 1. Okay, let me just draw you back to chapter 1 for a moment. For example, remember chapter 1, Paul says these things about certain teachers, about certain evangelists. Listen to what he says in verses 15 through 17. He basically says that, that some preach Christ out of envy, some preach Christ out of rivalry. Again, these are Christians, but their motives are wrong. And then he goes on to say that they do this, listen to this, out of selfish ambition. In other words, they're not looking out for Paul's interests. They're not looking out for God's interests. No, instead they're looking out for their own interests, and that ties directly to what Paul says here in Philippians 2, verse 21. And so just to flesh this idea out a little bit more here for us, to help us understand it, to help us to to be able to apply it to our own lives. What Paul is saying is basically this. He knows people, specifically people in the church, specifically churchy people who just want you to think that they're mature, who just want you to think that they really care about your interests, but they actually have some ulterior motive. So these types of believers speak this language. Maybe this, you've heard this language before called Christianese. You ever heard that language, Christianese? They say all the right things. I mean, they know all the answers, right? Usually they've, they've grown up in church. And so they say things like, oh, God bless you, brother. God bless you. Oh, I, I'm, I'm praying for you, sister. I'm praying for you, sister. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But they don't really mean any of that, do they? I mean, they're just saying it. They, 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 they really have this selfish agenda behind the scenes that they don't want you to know about that they're really trying to almost kind of push and propel themselves to be in the spotlight. They're not thinking about other people's interests. They're thinking about their own. They want to puff up their own ego and pride and, and feel important. However, in contrast to all that, what Paul is saying about Timothy in verse 20, he's saying, listen to me, this man is the real deal. He's the real deal. He's not fake. He's not phony. I've been with this man for 10 years. I think I know him pretty well. In fact, look look at the wording Paul uses to describe Timothy, verse 20. He says that Timothy, listen to this, genuinely, genuinely cares Not a fake care, genuinely cares about the interest of others. Paul's saying he's authentic, he's thoughtful, he's considerate, he's sincere. And so the application for us here is that we too should seek to be genuine. We should seek to care about the interest of others, just as Paul has shown us all throughout this chapter and specifically in Timothy's life. 
is Timothy models humility, and that is an important characteristic of any good friend. Okay, so a good friend is reliable. A good friend is dependable. A good friend is considerate. And then lastly, Paul gives us one more characteristic, and we'll close. And that is this. A good friend is loyal. A good friend is loyal. Look with me one last time at our text in verse 22. Paul says this about Timothy. He says, but you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. You see, Paul's point in saying this about Timothy is to show that Timothy was not a novice when it came to ministry and spiritual things. Timothy had plenty of what we would call spiritual miles under his belt. He had, he had been around the block. That's exactly why, why Paul says here that his character has been proven. His character has been proven. You see, I, I point that out to you today because everything in today's world is first tested before it's proven valuable. You ever thought about that? I mean, just about everything is tested first, and then if it passes the test, well, then it's proven valuable. Let me just give you one quick example. Let's just say you're gone, you've gone to a car dealership. You've bought a new car, right? You've purchased that car. You don't get in the car, turn, on the, turn over the ignition, say, oh, I hope it cranks. I don't know, right? No, you expect it to crank. You know it's going to crank. Why do you expect that? Why do you know that? Well, you know it's been built, right? You know it's been tested over and over and over again, and therefore it's proven valuable. It's proven worthy, and so you have this type of trust. Well, you see, in a very similar way, this is what Paul's trying to draw out to us here in Timothy. For example, when, when, when Paul first led Timothy to Christ, notice that he didn't immediately say, hey, Timothy, come on, let's go. Let's go. Go with me. Let's go travel. He didn't do any of that. No, instead, Paul waited a couple of years, and then on his second missionary journey, when he came back through again, he said, hey, Timothy, listen, I really noticed how you've grown in your faith, how you've matured in your faith, therefore you're proven valuable, and so let's go. Let's go. Right? Here, here's the point that I think Paul wants us to see here. There must be waiting before there is working. Write that down. There must be waiting before there is working. In other words, in any type of friendship or relationship, there must be a testing period before there is a teaming up period. Or just to say another way for you, a person must prove their character before they can prove their value, before they can prove their worth in a relationship. Paul would add here, that's especially important in ministry. Because in ministry, ministry can cause you to become very proud when the spotlight's on you, when everyone says, great message, yada, yada, yada. And listen, if your character's not there, then you're going to fall prey to that. That's exactly what's going to happen. Therefore, your character must be proven. Paul makes that very clear right here. You know, I've, over the years, have just seen this really play out. How many times have we seen famous celebrities, people that are just known throughout the world, and they make this profession of Christ. They're saying, I have become a Christian, a believer, and praise God, by the way. But what happens every single time, it's like the church just wants to come and say, listen, come speak at our church. I want you to preach at our church. I want you to share your testimony and do all these things at our church. And listen, that is a very admirable thing to do. I know it's a very sincere thing to do, but that is not a wise thing to do. Why? Well, their character has not been proven. Their faith ha ha has not been 
proven. How many times have we seen people do this, make that profession, and then they fall? Right? Then they fall from the faith. What we need to do is we need to get those people, listen to this, any, or not unbeliever, but young believer, rooted first in the Scriptures. Rooted first, grounded first in their faith. And then give them that platform to teach, to serve, to do all those things. Otherwise, they're just going to become a tree whose branches go out farther than its roots go down. And that truth's going to topple over, over time. And when that happens, the world's going to say, look, another one. Another one falls from the faith. See, Paul understood that. He, he made sure Timothy had proven character. He made sure Timothy was, was loyal to not just him, but to the faith. And get this, it was that proven character. It was that shared loyalty that turned into long-term reliability respect and love for one another, even to the point where, listen to this, Paul says at the end of verse 22, Paul considered Timothy to be his own son. That's the type of bond and relationship they had with each other. Church family, it is God's desire for your life, not only to have close friends like this, but to commit yourself to be that type of friend for someone else. He wants you to live a life that, that models humility and service towards others through your friendships, through your relationships with each other. And again, we do that by, as we've seen today, by being dependable. We can do that by being like-minded. We can do that by being considerate of others. We can do that by being loyal to those that God has tasked us with in the now. But guess what? Not only, listen to this, not only does God want you and I to have friends like that and to be a friend like that to others. More importantly, God wants to be that for us. God wants to be our friend. I want you to really think about that for a moment. God doesn't just want us to live this out and that, that we should live this out in our relationships and that we should have those types of relationships. More importantly, He actually wants to be that for us. He wants to be our friend. You see, in the Old Testament... There was only one person in the scriptures that was given that very unique title. Do you know who that was? Anyone know? Abraham. Abraham was given that specific title. He was called the friend of God. And man, what an honor that would have been, right? They called the friend of God. I mean, can you just imagine? I just try to imagine things sometimes in the Bible. Can you just imagine God coming up to you? He said, hey, you see that guy over there? That's Abraham. My friend. I love Abraham. He loves me. We have a close bond, a close relationship. And what a privilege. What an absolute honor that must have been. Here's the truth, though. When Jesus Christ becomes your Savior, He brings you into a relationship with the Father where, yes, you become a child of God, but better yet, you become a friend of God. See, in John 15, 5, Jesus said this to His followers. He says, from this day on, I don't just call you my servants anymore. I call you my friend. Jesus himself said those words. I don't just call you my servants, but I call you my friend. And so if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus. I want you to be reminded today that not only does God call you to be a friend like this, as we've seen in Philippians 2, but that God is your friend. He's your perfect friend. 
He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And if you're here this morning, you haven't made that decision yet, I want you to know that if you decide to do that today, then through Jesus, not only will you become a child of God, you will become a friend of God if you place your faith in Him. Let's pray.